Hey, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when you're watching the video uh, broadcast or listening to the audio podcast version of Hypnosis Week. It's me again, Alex William Smith by birth, but better known to many of you as Jonathan Royal, the British bad boy of hypnosis. So bad that yesterday and today has been about health and safety, duty of care and legal stuff. Oh, really bad. Uh, today's day is the 23rd of June 2020. Uh, this interview with the gentleman I'm about to introduce, you would be wise if you have not yet watched yesterday's from the 22nd of June 2020 with Stuart Harrison Cassells. You would be wise to go to hypnosisweek.com and check out that episode before this because there is a lot that will cross-relate. Um, as we explained yesterday, there will be some things that may contradict, but that's fine, because some things are opinion, although largely stuff today will be based, I am advised, on things known as laws and actual regulations and uh, such like. The gentleman that I've got on the show today, he's got a background in first aid training, which is something I forgot to mention yesterday, um, because I'll just say up at the top of the show, I think that any hypnotherapist, and even more so any stage hypnotist, because I argue that there is more chance of a physical injury in a stage hypnosis show than there is in a hypnotherapy session, because you're getting generally not during the coronavirus outbreak, and I would say keep them in the chair, like I said yesterday. But in a normal show, people are getting up, jumping around and stuff. So the, the chances of twisting an ankle or, or, or all manner of potential things are more prevalent in a stage hypnosis show. And I would say that at least having done the, uh, in the UK, it's the health and safety executives first aid at work uh, level diploma as a bare minimum would be advisable to all stage hypnotists and therapists. The same for wherever you are in the world, the, 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 the uh, equivalent. My guest today is qualified in teaching people those things. He has also um, got the correct background training and legal ability to be teaching people about business governance, uh, guidance running the business right, and in particular reference to the subject matter of safety for hypnotists, uh, whether that be for therapy or entertainment, because entertainment can also cover public demonstrations, you know, group public demonstrations and stuff, that he's also very well versed with risk management, safety guides, or as it's also termed health and safety and duty of care stuff. From the hypnotherapy NLP background kind of stuff, he is a qualified master practitioner of NLP. He's got a BTEC level three in NLP as well, which is a conventional educational qualification in England. Um, in other words, he's got insights on the therapy side. Uh, I would argue he's got insights from a performance side from his background in martial arts as well, because that is doing public group demonstrations and stuff. And then that all welds together with the stuff we've already said. And that is why I am delighted to have on the show today, Stuart Gavin. Thanks for joining me, Stuart. Thanks for asking me, Alex. <laughs> well, look, I've given a bit of your background, uh, obviously. Um, is there anything I've missed out that it'd be an idea for the viewers and listeners to know? Um, I think I think from the business point of view, uh, I've been involved in helping uh, businesses set up policies, procedures and practices for um, to evidence due diligence for business governance. Um, I think that's where the majority of small businesses let themselves down. Um, the the key the key thing to remember 
is that you're governed by the same laws and same regulations as a major business. Just because you're a sole trader doesn't mean that you get a get out of jail free card. Um, so we're going to look at some of the legislations that are in place, which can be a bit dry. And as you said yesterday about the legalese, um, they've got specific words and specific ways that you have to interpret the meaning of the words. Um, I'm not going to go right into the acts because, as was you pointed out yesterday, um, this is opinion-based advice. Um, we're not actually saying that this is specific advice for you as a sole trader or as a partnership or as a, a limited company. We're giving you advice and a direction to look so that you can go and evidence your own due diligence. Mm. Nobody, nobody can actually do it for you unless you pay them to come into your business. And as Stuart so rightly put yesterday, they have to spend time and they have to carry out a lot of work. They have to do a training needs analysis. They have to do risk management documents. They have to put together policies and procedures specifically unique for your business. And anybody who says that, they, as Stuart touched on yesterday, anybody that sell, says that they can sell you a template, the template that you get is not fit for purpose. It is not worth the paper it's written on. And some of them are extortionate. And you might think that it's a shortcut, people, but ultimately what we're looking at is you will be standing in court defending your actions and explaining to a judge and jury of your peers why you did what you did, why you thought that you were, you were doing the best to your ability. And if you haven't got the background, the experience, um, what we call a competent person, if you're not a competent person, then that's you finished. Um, well, people watching or listening will think, well, that, that, that's me in court. I won't be in court. Let me tell you, you won't be in court if you pay attention to the governance and the health and safety. Well, it's, it, well, let's put it this way. I'm not going to say you won't ever end up in court. I'll say it's far less likely for you to end up in court. But if you did, the probabilities are you would win your case as long as you've abided by the governance and the laws and such like if you're thinking well i've not heard of that many hypnotherapists getting sued or taken to court for other things i can tell you categorically because it's part of what i do i have acted as a lay litigant mackenzie's friend legal advisor uh with no legal qualifications that's why it's called mackenzie's friend lay litigant just to make that clear to anyone watching or listening to a number of stage hypnotists and hypnotherapists in the past, both in England and in other places in the world. Because unfortunately, when you bring in that unknown of hypnosis, most lawyers haven't got a clue about that element of it. And it then complicates matters. But unfortunately, I can tell you that generally speaking, insurance companies, even if you are in the right, even if you have done everything correctly as a stage hypnotist or hypnotherapist, nine times out of 10, they do a cost analysis and they conclude that it would be cheaper quite often for them to just make a settlement out of court and sweep it under the carpet. Um, it, it's happened numerous times that I'm aware of, both for stage hypnotist and therapist. Now, the only bright side of that is that, yes, your policy goes up and it quite often can for everybody. 
But because of the manner it's been done, quite often it never hits the national newspapers. And that's why people think it's not happening that often. Unfortunately, I can tell you there's a lot of stage hypnotists, um, not just in America, where it's kind of openly known that there's been lots of claims against stage hypnotists. But in England, it's happened a lot. And therapist is happening way more than you would imagine. And a lot of it, a lot of the times, they haven't followed the simple things that Stuart's going to share with you. Sometimes they have law. This isn't fail safe. Sometimes insurance companies will just settle even when you're in the right, as ridiculous as that sounds. I would, dis- I would disagree with you there, Alex. I think uh, insurance companies go further than that. They actually don't want to pay out at all. So the first thing they ask is they're not interested in the accident. They're not interested in uh, the situation, the circumstances first. What they look for first is that you are running your business within the the legislation and the locality that you're working. So what that means is that they will send an investigator and the investigator's first questions, you're trying to explain why the accident happened. They don't care about that. What they ask for is, can we see your health and safety documents? Can we see your fire documents? Can we see your first aid documents? Can we see? And at the bottom of most insurance policies, there is a little tick box saying that you agree. Uh, It is in the UK anyway. If you tick the little tick box where it says, I agree that my business will follow all mandatory legislation with regards to business operations. And if you do not have the documents in place, then the bets are off before it even starts. So um, a wise man once told me. Um, a, a, right, a so I, I get what you're saying there is that if they, they find any screw up in that, yeah, they're going to kind of pay out to the other side to keep nope. it out of court. Nope. You're, what actually happens then is you're in breach of contract with your insurance and they will say that your insurance is null and void and you have now bet your house on the fact that you're going to court to defend yourself. They will have nothing else to do with you because you are in breach of what they call um, the, the, the contract that you signed. Um, so they don't have to follow through with it at all. So you could end up having to fit all the bills yourself. Well, that makes Just, sense, but I, like I say, I've had I've had occurrences where I tell you they've literally there is no logical reason for them to have not proceeded to call because there's been video of the person show that would prove what they were accused of. It could quite easily be argued it hasn't caused the psychological damage that the person claimed, and yet they settled and paid the person off. Yeah, I, well, I mean, the the big thing about that was Paul McKenna's case, wasn't it? Um, he it didn't he go through the courts where the, the oh that cost a bloody fortune. I mean he, he yeah the guy claiming he was six he regressed to being six years old which was nonsense. There was proof yeah. that the guy was you know after making right. money. But from from that point of view, it it means that the the insurance companies have got a, a get out of jail free card. They can step away from you any time that they want um, if you don't have your policies, procedures, and practices all in place. Now, that's, that's um, standard practice in the UK. Um, you have to, I mean, there are so many laws that we have to actually take into account when running a business. Um, you touched on first aid. 
every every employer has to have first aid in place, um, which which they say has to be based on a risk assessment. Uh, we're going to talk about risk assessment a little bit more. Generally speaking, hypnotherapists and stage hypnotists are not gem. The majority are not employers. It would be argued they're they're they're, they're just themselves. An interesting an interesting point of view for that. Um, the would you say that you have volunteers when you're no, doing your stage show? Otherwise, yeah. Right. A volunteer is afforded the same. Uh, rights and responsibilities under the um, Employers Insurance Act 1969 as anybody that's in a paid contract. So therefore, you have to have public liability, uh, employer liability. That's an interesting thing that most people don't understand. Um, we've, we went into this in depth because a lot of martial arts schools will have assistant instructors who are not paid. Well, they're deemed to be volunteers, and volunteers are afforded the same rights under law as a as a paid member of staff. So, right. ah, see, the little that was one thing that you didn't hit on yesterday that I thought, haha, because most of the stuff that you, you guys gave yesterday was gold. Um, going into the details and, and bits and bobs that you well, would one need. Thing, another yeah. thing Stuart didn't mention, which pretty much relates to what you've just said, um, is the fact that generally speaking, companies only need to have a proper written risk assessment if they've got at least five employees. Okay, so if you've got five... But if you get at least five volunteers up for your stage show, it could be argued that you need that written risk assessment. It could be argued, and until there's a case in point with it, Mm -hmm. uh, you really need to be... If if it's not written down, it didn't happen. When you're standing in court... You know, the, the question will go along the lines of when did you carry out your risk assessment? Well, we carried it out on such and such a date. Did you did you write it down? No, I didn't have to because I'm self-employed. I'm on my own. I don't I, I'm under five people. How do you evidence that if you've written it up on your laptop? Save it. Save a copy of it. If it's on the laptop, if it's on your PC, if it's on your Apple, whatever. Keeping a copy of it has a date and time attached. It also checks when it was first made and when it was um, when it was updated. Yeah. So yeah. so there's evidence for you. So basically, what I want to talk about from the health and safety point of view and legislation point of view is one producing evidence. Okay. You guys went through yesterday all the health and safety stuff from uh, the point of view of reopening your your um, therapists clinic or um, doing your stage shows well I want to look at it from the other side okay let me be devil's advocate today and be I'm the one taking you to court okay when I take you to court you have to prove that you are an expert you're a competent person you are um, you you are fit for purpose you're fit for carrying out your business the way that you do and you have to prove that all your policies and procedures actually evidence due diligence has taken place okay so we can talk about as as employers as business owners as a person in trade a person that provides services now remember a service doesn't have to be paid for to be classed as a service um hmrc if you even if you don't get paid for it you still have to register as a business charities have to register as businesses as well so if you're providing a service, you are in business, okay? If you're pro- producing um, 
items to sell, you're in business. But a lot of people think, well, it's a hobby. Um, I know Reiki practitioners, because I know you do the Reiki course as well, Alex. Mm-hmm. Um, there, a lot of Reiki practitioners do it and they, they think that they don't need insurance and they don't need to register with HMRC. Well, just because you're not getting paid doesn't mean you don't have to register. If you're receiving gifts for services and somebody gives you a nice bottle of wine, technically you've been paid. So there's a, there's that side to it. And I think I think where, where we fall down in this sector is that because we're unregulated, there are so many training providers out there who can put a course together, give you a bit of paper, and you can then claim to be what they've said that you are that you have received training in. Yeah. Now, not all courses are, are made equal. Okay. Not all courses are, are, are going as depth as much depth as as you guys do with. Um, I, I know you talk about the transparency. Um, that that course and with your risk assessments and all that outlined in it, fantastic. Um, I I did my BTEC level three with uh, Mark Dawes from NFPS. The depth that he went into, again, fantastic. Where his course and your course are slightly different, yours and the majority of training providers out there are not to a recognised standard. They're unregulated. Um, the NFPS course with Mark Dawes um, was taught by a legally, uh, a fully qualified teacher, somebody who has actually done a teaching qualification, an off-qual regulated teaching qualification. Now, for those that don't know, off-qual is the government department which deal with accrediting courses. Now, when you're defending yourself in court... Just to play devil's advocate, I know where Stuart's going here, and I do agree with it in the context of what we're, we're talking about, but I've got to say, there are so many qualified, and I mean in the context that Stuart's just said, teachers, I mean genuinely qualified in the sense that who couldn't fucking, in this context, they couldn't hypnotise a sleeping somnambulist uh, in the real world. They haven't got a fucking clue what they're doing. Let, let me get to that in a minute. Let yeah. me get to that in a minute. I will, t- I will, I will bang that out of the park for you there, Alex. Um, so basically, when you go to court, you have to defend your competency. Now, um, Stuart spoke yesterday about the health and safety executive. The health and safety executive, for those that don't know, is an investigative authority in the UK who look at breaches in health and safety law. Now. They define competence as a person who has skills, knowledge, attitude, training, and experience. Now, when it comes to the issue that I have with most health and safety is that you could have the skills because you're a qualified hypnotist and you've been doing it for 30 years. Um, You could have the knowledge of hypnosis. You could have the uh, experience, you can have the training, but you don't have the right attitude because you don't actually think of the health and safety as being a vital part to your role. That rules you out as being competent. If you don't have a proper qualification or, or what could be in, um, can be investigated, the level of training that you've had, 
those all depend and those are all the arguments for competence. So if they go down through that scale and they find you lacking on one, then your risk assessment won't be valid. So that's where we were sitting yesterday when Stuart said you can't buy a, a template off mm -hmm. or, because the person doesn't have the experience of your course, of your therapy, of your stage show. Yeah. That's why I sit, when somebody says to us, we could, we actually sit down and we say, right, okay, we will brief you in health and safety, we will brief you in risk management, but we require somebody who has the expertise. And we actually say to companies, rather than paying somebody else, which is a lot of money, which again, has to be signed by, so if I wrote my risk assessment for you, Alex, mm -hmm. you have to sign the bottom. It's the person who signs the bottom is the one who will be investigated in court. And yeah. the first, the first, as 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 uh, a as a um, a procurator fiscal in Scotland, or or um, that's the person, uh, the prosecution in England. If if I turn around, I would say, Alex, um, can you tell the court uh, your experience in hypnosis? And you would say, Well, we won't right now because I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so some, I'd, I'd probably take a good several hours as I'd be allowed to, because you're allowed to give your full defence of the fact that there are more people in this industry who are currently successful than any other living hypnosis trainer. Right. And then the next question would be, um, and how? why are you qualified to complete a risk assessment? Because I've actually, well, my answer would be because I can, I would argue and can show and based on what I've been told by the likes of your good self, um, Stuart, that we had on yesterday, Will Farcher, who used to be the health and safety person for the General Hypnotherapy Register here in England, and us two royal charters for health and safety, apparently my elite hypnosis boot camp has more training in it uh, regarding health and safety, duty of care and all related laws than pretty much any other courses out there. So. Okay. If the experts are telling me that, I'm reasonably okay. confident that. What experience do you have in risk management? And could you list any qualifications that you have? Uh, actual qualifications, uh, study, um, just like the vast majority of people on this planet, none. Uh, experience, um, oh, crikey. Well, from oh. the earliest age, I've been involved there, around people putting together risk assessments for everything from aerial acts in the circus where people could get killed on a daily basis through to... But what okay. qualifications do you have, an understanding of law do you have to write your risk assessment? Well, I'm fully aware that in law, I do not need any qualification to do uh, that. No, you have to prove your competence, Alex. It says that if you look at the health and safety in uh, the HSE guidelines, okay, it's guidelines, but well, it refers to, it refers well, to an act. Right, in which case, the answer to that would be that the only way to, for a hypnotherapist, we'll just take that, it could be stage hypnotist, but then the answer would be slightly different. We'll say, the only way for, well, fuck it, we'll say stage hypnotist. The only way to put together a risk assessment properly for a stage hypnotist would be to truly know what could go wrong 
And whilst on the one hand, you could ask other stage hypnotists what might go wrong, if they've not encountered it or not had the experience, that's going to be neither here nor there. So, yes, you can sit down and play the game of what if, oh, I'm using a piece of paper there, they might get a paper cut. That's a risk. Literally every single element of play that game, but what people are going to understand it better if they've actually done it in the real world. So right now, being asked that question... 30 years of doing thousands upon thousands of shows. Why do, why do you issue certificates for your training, Alex? Well, two reasons. Number one, there is no such thing as a legally recognised or required standard or level in hypnotherapy or any related area in England or most all European countries and many other places in the world. It's only as good as the person actually teaching it um what knowledge and they impart and even then even then uh if someone was to bring in the argument that uh bournemouth university have a degree course in hypnotherapy it's not a legal requirement to have that and with the exception of one individual involved in that the other individuals involved actually have very little real world experience or success of note in the real world Right. So what you're saying right now is because hypnosis is unregulated, mm-hmm. there is no requirement for a specific level of training. Agreed? No. Right. So under under laws, which in the context have... of the way that was asked, the fact is, in terms of level of training, um, which a lot of hypnosis trainers clearly don't either comprehend or couldn't care less for whatever reason, anyone who's providing any form of training is bound by duty of care laws. Of course they are. And would also, I would argue, abound, well, not just argue, the law states it, if they make claims in their advertising of what they're going to teach their students and they fail in fulfilling that expectation and advertised... um, level or, or ability then one could argue that that is actually fraud and obtaining money by deception okay so, so there are laws in place that should yes, there, are. there are laws Sadly, in place. they don't get police very well okay so if we take it back to because this this is supposed to be about health and safety mm-hmm. and we're going to relate that to the rest of the stuff that we're going to talk about and um, the Health and Safety at Work Act 1974 is the key piece of legislation, okay? And under Section 2... I'll just say that's in England, but for anyone in other countries, because there will be viewers and listeners, yes, generally yes. speaking, certainly with hypnosis, stage hypnosis laws, the 1952 hypnotism act, when other countries brought in laws that made mention of hypnosis for stage, they weren't word for word identical to the 52 Act, but they were very much, as NLP would say, modelled off it. Generally speaking, the gold standard for guidance and laws in these things, if you look at England, yes, there may be regional variations in your country, which you've got to check out yourself. But generally speaking, you're going to be on a good starting track looking at the UK outlines. Yeah. Okay. So, but as I'm based in the UK and as I'm I'm giving my advice and my opinion Mm. on UK, um, we would need to look at the Health and Safety at Work Act. Yeah. And in the Health and Safety at Work Act, it says that you have a duty of care to your employees to provide 
information, instruction, training and supervision. Okay, now there it's down in law. That you have to provide information, instruction, training and supervision. Now, the majority of people who are working in the therapy sector want to be classed the same as other healthcare professionals. So therefore, they should be looking at the same rules, regulations, because we are in business. So we're looking at the Health and Safety at Work Act as the key one. The training, how do you provide that training is to a suitable level? Then they actually go, if you if you were involved in a, um, in a case where you were being held liable, and remember, you've got two, two different kinds of prosecution. You've got civil and criminal. Yeah. So criminal yeah. has a different level of what we call tort, which is a, a standard which you're held to. So if you if you are a criminal taking on criminal charges, you could still be fined. Uh, you could still be sued under civil law, which is to a lesser degree of probability. So you're looking at um, the the requirement to prove your guilt is higher in criminal law than it is for civil suits. Um, but how do you prove your your expertise? Well. If you've got a qualification, they would look at the training that you've done. So they would they would look at the specific course that you attended, and then they would look at the trainer who provided it. So again, they would look at the competency of the training. In the which case, in that context, I would have to say that, and and, and this beguiles me to say this. Um, well, it actually doesn't on on, on this context. Uh, in this context, and the answer I'm about to give, I'm happy. To mention these people's names because the two are the rare people who actually know what they're bloody doing and that would be that I'd turn around and go okay generally speaking even though it's nonsense people think the general hypnotherapy register and the general hypnotherapy standards council in England that if you've got training that is approved by them that that means you've met uh, the, the generally accepted level now that is a nonsense because I know so many people who've done courses through them who haven't got a fecking clue and so many trainers because if you pay the money and follow the hours everyone ends up being ghsc approved pretty much allegedly i've got to say that could obviously I'll, say they turn I, people down comment on their training because I've, I've never experienced it and i haven't looked at it it's only as good like any training as the experience of the actual person unfortunately in 2004 i did a ghr ghsc approved hypnotherapy training course with Dr. Raymond Roberts in Wales, Elashfield Training. Um, he was GHR, GH, what's it, approved at the time. He isn't now be purely because he realised it's a nonsense and it's not worth paying them the yearly fees to be able to put their little logo on stuff. And it's not done a blind bit of damage to his business. Uh, but more recently, because of people going, oh, you've got no recent CPD, which is cobblers, because if people went looking, they see that I've probably done more continuing professional development than any hypnosis trainer out there. But I did uh, with Susie Lawrence in 2017, Peace of Minds Hypnotherapy, uh, Susan Lawrence, who is uh, from a nursing background and what she brings from the medical arena to the hypnotherapy training, that itself is worth its weight in gold. So I would have to answer because people generally think that that means something. It doesn't. 
But that is what I'd have to refer to those two particular bits of paper in the context of that question. Well, what I would what I would suggest is that you go and you look to do a risk a risk assessment or management course. Then you can stand in court and say, well, I have this bit of paper which outlines how to conduct a risk assessment, how to uh, how to work out what a hazard is, what the pot what the potential hazards are, and um, what the, the the chance and probability of the event happening. All those things are covered in a in a risk assessment course. Now, if we're going to be as as a therapist or as as a um, a practitioner, if you want to be classed as professional, you need to be as you've just mentioned. CPD is an important thing. CPD can be across a wide range of of subjects and industries. You can you can bring in other stuff. So when when you're you're very passionate about it from the hypnosis point of view. And what I say is when when you're dealing about with with some of this stuff, you need to be dispassionate with it and take a step back and actually look at it as a broader picture. So if I was taking my daughter to a dancing school, uh, well actually I did take my daughter to a dancing school and she used to go to a ballet class. Mm-hmm. And and uh, my my partner used to take her um, and I went along and I wasn't overly happy about the way things were run and I asked to see her dancing certificates and qualifications in teaching ballet. She had none. Now at that point I'm sitting going well there are you know if you've got some amount of uh, if you've got some certification that proves that you have done to a certain level then that is experience, that is competency. But if you can't evidence that, and evidence is 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 the key to this, because you're looking at not everybody will understand the the content that you've just gone on about other training providers. If I ask you if you are able to drive, yes, I can drive. Mm-hmm. Can you drive legally? Yes, I have a license. That's a recognized standard. What I would be recommending to everybody is that, and this isn't just as a sales pitch from a training provider, okay? What I would be saying is everybody should be looking at being able to produce documents where when they're standing in court defending their own house, because possibly the insurance company isn't getting involved, that they can stand there and say, I have done this qualification and risk. I have done this qualification in first aid. I have done this. I have complied with. I mean, a lot of a lot of uh, therapists out there want to be classed as as uh, healthcare professionals. There's been a lot of discussion about that at the moment, saying, "Well, we're essential key workers because we we're in the therapy business. We, we you know we're dealing with clients. We're just as important as anybody else." And then you turn around and you say, "Well, okay." Have you looked at, um, I don't know, uh, the Health and Social Care 2008 Act has guidance on infection control and mm-hmm. prevention. Have you, uh, are, your, are your policies and procedures in line with that? Well, most of them, frankly, haven't even taken, and this, this isn't enough, this is not a big enough level, but I mean, right now with the COVID, coronavirus stuff and people starting to reopen or considering doing so 
The fact is the British government on their site, and this is the same in other places in the world, but we're just talking UK at the moment, have got online links to various training institutes where there are free of charge, online interactive training in COVID safety awareness for relevant different business sectors. Yes. And I have... I've done, I think, about 12 different ones of them. Okay. From one that's aimed at hairdressers. Now, I'm not a hairdresser, but I I do have this logic. Hairdressers have far more chance of physical contact with somebody than I'm going to have as a hypnotherapist. Yes, yeah. So I, I figure it's worth doing those, especially when they're free, because if you know how to minimize the risk in something that's got more risks, then when you're in the position of something that starts off with less risk, surely you've got more of an awareness than you, you know. And they're free. There's tons of them available. Well, not just that. Again, we're looking specifically at COVID at the moment. Mm. What I would say is, um, you know, looking at your health and safety, you need to have to write your own health and safety policy. You have to be competent. It says that in the in, in the regs. It actually says it on the health and safety executive site. We get, they give you advice on how to do it, but they tell you you have to do it, and it has to be written by somebody competent in your sector, in your workplace. Remember, everything is unique. My risk assessment for my little office won't be the same as it would be for yours. wouldn't be the same if we had a full clinic with 30, 40 offices on the go. You need to be site-specific, location-specific. And as Stuart said yesterday, coming down to individual client specifics. Because, you you know, um, again, you, we've, we talked about health and uh, first aid. Ab reactions, first aid is a, it would be important at that point. If anything went too far and they injured themselves when they, how have you not dealt with that? How are you going to deal with the liabilities moving forward? Did you provide first aid? If you end up in court, how do you evidence that you were you were, you had a experience in first aid suitable for this the situation? Well, it's your risk assessment and then your qualifications and training. So everything is interlinked. There is no this is just for COVID. This should have been in place for everything. Fire safety requires a risk assessment. Oh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. All that stuff, it applies even when this COVID is, when we get back to normal or as near to normal as possible, the vast majority of what we spoke about today, I'd speak about today, and even yesterday, the vast majority of it actually will still apply, yeah. And Everybody says, well, under COVID regulations, in Scotland, we've actually got the we've got a COVID Act. Okay, it's an Act of Parliament in Scotland. Um, and well, so we it's have that, well, unfortunately, they brought it in wrong, so none of it's enforceable. No, uh, the guidance isn't enforceable. The Act is. Health and Safety at Work Act has not changed during any of this. So any no, process- but the stuff, the, the new stuff they brought in for COVID, the Coronavirus Act in England, it's actually been proven to be unenforceable. Because they screwed it up the way they wrote it. They cocked up because COVID coronavirus had never been properly um, legally categorised as an existing okay, stop. thing. And Can that's I, why the Met Police uh, executive I'll, came out and said, we can't enforce any of it. I'll interrupt you and I'll ask you, I'll ask you yes or no answer questions, Alex. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is COVID-19 
a defined hazard? Is it a hazard to human health? Well, that's an interesting has, one. Has there been a death due to COVID anywhere on this planet? There's people that tell you there is, so we've got to say yes. So yes. Okay, then, no matter what the guidance is and no matter what the COVID Law Act says, Health and Safety at Work Act says in Section 3.1, it shall be the duty of empl every employer to conduct his undertaking in such a way as to ensure, so far as it reasonably practicable, that persons not in his employment who may be affected thereby are not thereby ex exposed to risks to their health and safety. Now, there it is, black and white. Doesn't matter whether you say it's a possibility, it could be, it could be a conspiracy, it could be, no. If there is a risk to someone's health, then you are, under law, have that duty of care not to operate. Okay, you, you can put in as many, okay, reasonably practical means risk versus cost, and you can look at putting PPE and all the rest of it in, but ultimately, if it is, there is a chance of death under the Human Rights Act, okay, because as a, a, you know, a, you talk about state shows, state shows are licensed, aren't they? So arguably, only, only in England and a couple of other, the vast majority of places in the world, no. I, I speak I speak for British law. Yeah. I, I can't comment on. And, and even in British law, they're only licensed if they fall under certain categories. There's categories of the 1952, it says I'm and later, 1989 guidelines, 96 Home Office review and updated model conditions, Annex 278, slash whatever, it's all in the boot camp yeah. and transparency that make you uh, exempt. If there's okay. any level, if it's for giving of hypnotherapy in public exemption, for scientific research or educational purposes, it's exempt. There's so many loopholes in the act that basically, okay. to say it's licensed, it's probably best to say it isn't. But it, but there are still licenses given out for it. Uh, well, they're not actually classed as licenses in law, ironically. Although they're, although they're given out by the licensing department, they are referred to as permissions under the they're not actually classified as licenses okay well uh, so so it's a it, so it's not a licensable activity then well it is but only on certain sections okay. of the so thing the license is the licensing act 2003 and that's not the hypnotist problem that's no. the venue owner's problem not the hypnotist right so it's it's still so we're still looking at it as, as a licensable activity held in a licensed premises. So therefore, sometimes. sometimes. Yeah. So we're looking at that then falling under the um, the Human Rights Act because the Human Rights Act in Article 2 is a positive obligation to preserve life. And all governments have to do, uh, have a, a positive obligation to promote life. So therefore, under Human Rights Act, which is the top law, that you know we've got common law criminal law health and safety law right at the top of that pyramid is the health and safety is the human rights act their most um their first their the first thing key thing that they talk about is promotion of life preservation of life so we should be looking at that as you know um that's where we're looking at 
you're coming under. That's where we're looking at the health and safety laws already in place. Um, you should be also looking at sites, uh, talking about your cleaning and disinfecting yesterday. Um, how, do, how do we know that you're cleaning and disinfecting properly? Have you been trained in the use of the chemicals? Have you um, looked at the COSH regulations, control of substances, hazardous to health? Is that included in your, your management policy? Um, your infection control, as you say, there's free courses out there. You should be looking at evidencing that you've attended a free course or attended a paid course, um, because all those things are then going to come in with your prosecution under the Health and Safety at Work Act, and worse still, corporate manslaughter, because you could end up in court for corporate manslaughter. So all those are for your, because uh, um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but every prosecution under health and safety or or abuse of health and safety is a criminal offence. So therefore, you're not just looking at a small fine, you're looking at a larger fine plus jail time. That doesn't include the civil, the civil courts where you're going to be sued for the liabilities and there's the cost of, of the damages done. Mm -hmm. So really, when we're looking at the stuff that you guys talked about yesterday, which is all fantastic, I would just be saying, let's not do any anything, any therapy work except through um, online. Let's not look at, I mean, what you didn't look at yesterday was the fact that the majority of premises aren't open. So therefore, you have to find a premises that is, is going to be COVID um, compliant first before you can even look at a show. There's plenty of other things that you could be doing. You, you get what I mean? There's putting somebody else, again, we well, look at the, the, the more, there is for those of us that have multi-skills, but there are stage hypnotists out there who have no other skills whatsoever. They have nothing else to fall back on. So for them, they will probably be more focused on getting back to work. And there are places in the world where venues have reopened. And I am actually aware of, uh, I won't mention names, because that could possibly put me into water but i am aware based on stuff i've seen on social media that there's a british magician okay. who does uh the odd bit of street hypnosis with their magic that has been doing um socially distanced garden parties since it's been allowable for um people to meet in public parks and stuff and that this has actually been done with the blessing of the local council, as far as I can see on social media, that they were aware that he's in their park area doing a busking type open air performance. Right. OK. Um, but in a socially distanced manner, not touching anybody, keeping the distance and all those other things in mind. Um, how... Up, up until the, the changes where you could actually meet up with with um, different groups of people, um, their social distancing is supposed to be in place. Obviously, with me being based in Scotland, our our laws and our guidance is completely different from what you guys have got. Um, we're still pretty locked down. We're only allowed to meet up with one other family, um, one other family group. So to be able to do stuff like that in Scotland would be... Uh, it would be difficult at best, and it would be there would be 
serious implications for anybody trying it in Scotland. I, I would I would expect. I, I can't see Police Scotland taking a, a taking it in a good. Well, as we said yesterday, everything could change tomorrow. It depends if there was oh, suddenly oh. an announcement by your government. In the same way as today, the twenty third of June, the media are reporting, which I alluded to yesterday, that Boris's Boris Johnson, British Prime Minister's, apparently this afternoon going to make an announcement that social distancing will officially be reduced from two meters to one meter. Yeah. So things are ongoing, things are changing, and you have to be aware of the, the the laws and regulations and guidance, obviously, in your locality. That's that's the key. Um, what happens on one side of the border, I mean, in Gretna, you could be on one side of the border and the other side of the border within a couple of feet. Yeah. So, so yeah. You, you've got to be aware of where you're standing. OK, it has to be. But from the UK point of view, Everything is still governed by Health and Safety at Work Act 1974. You still have to have all your, your conditions in place. Now, obviously, risk assessment, um, skills, attitude, training and experience are, are your de definition of competency. Easiest way to do that would be just go and get yourself a off-qual regulated risk assessment course. Um, you can get them online now. Um, that would then be evidence that you've at least received training to a recognized standard. Mm -hmm. That's what you're aiming to do. You're not bothered. Uh, the Health and Safety at Work Act understands that you cannot eliminate every risk. So you eliminate all the risks that you can. You reduce the risks further. You isolate the, the risks if possible. Okay. If you can't isolate them, then you control them. Then you look at PPE and then you 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 write down your discoveries and you don't get everything. I'm sure everyone knows what PPE is. I know I'm at home. There is no risk here and I will go and wash my hands properly before well, going there. PPE is personal protection equipment. I'm sure people yes. know just in case. Yeah, personal protective equipment. Now, what uh, one of the interesting things that I I am um, I picked up on you yesterday when you were talking about um, you talked about individual masks that could be worn mm. and you talked about latex ones which have got uh, funny features and stuff. Yeah, but I, I did point out to have a normal one underneath that would just be for a gag for walking on stage. And then Indeed. Indeed. But what I would suggest to highlight a, a point which people don't really understand that much, if you're using a prop you have to have it, it has to be fit for purpose under the PURE Act, okay? Um, it's P-U-W-E-R. Um, and, and when you're doing, one of the issues I would have had with what you said yesterday, even though you've got a mask underneath, some people are allergic to latex and you could have a, a, a reaction to that with somebody on stage. So if- well, There'd be nobody on stage at that point. The person themselves could be it could be allergic to latex. Well, I would assume. Uh, sorry, yeah. Well, let's just say, but I would work on the assumption that each individual performer takes responsibility for their own bloody health and safety as well, and would know if they're allergic to something. And if if so, don't bloody do it. Yeah. Exactly. But how often do people take that into account when they want to be on stage? What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, you, yeah, you, but not, we weren't talking about the volunteers there. This would be for the performer to wear. All right, for the performer. Okay. There's right. a gag coming on at the start of the show, so it looks like they haven't got a mask on. Perhaps really ridiculous 
bad teeth. You can get okay. them with a bit, but then they take it off, revealing the yeah normal okay. type mask with their show branding. Nothing to do with the volunteers. No, 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 no. Okay, no. okay. Well, um, so when when we're looking at stuff, you need to you need to have your um, we need to make sure that everything is in line with health and safety. Everything. So you need to develop a good risk assessment. You would need to put that into a, a, a policy. So your risk assessment defines all your risks and, and what controls you can put in. Put that together into a policy and, and your management of practices is making sure everybody adheres to that. That's where we, we would have the problems um, Stuart was talking about yesterday, making sure that everybody coming to your show or everybody coming to your therapy actually understands what's going to be going on and how they have to meet that. Now, you you can turn around and tell me until you're blue in the face, Alex, that um, people will do exactly what you tell them to do. But we see it in the supermarkets. They don't. They're reaching over the top of people, not caring about their social distancing, just so that they can get that extra packet of super noodles. People don't care. And unfortunately, it falls back on the business owner they are responsible for making sure that it goes that way. So we're looking at the moment where everybody is looking to get back to work. Touching on something that you, you, you said yesterday, people who have paid their taxes and actually followed the law when paying their taxes have access to money at the moment. Yeah, they can, they can contact the government. They can get the the self-employed scheme. You've you've even got the there's a a, a minimum wage floor, um, which is in place for people who who can't claim through their profits from previous years. Hey, the time I wished I had a proper registered business premises. I don't need one. Don't need one. Totally pointless. What if I'd have had been paying? For a registered premise, I'd have been quizzing now because the having the premises, it's a grant that's non-repayable. Yes, a non-repayable grant. It's not classed as a loan. Whereas your self-employment uh, scheme, where you get your percentage of the past three years' earnings, yeah, very nice, very helpful to those of us that actually pay tax. Yeah. But it's got to be declared as part of your taxable income. Yes. For next year. Uh, fair enough. It's not a big deal. But the point is people with premises, actually, not everyone, because some people, it depends on how many staff still, they've got. It still has to be declared in your, your tax form for next year as an income. Even mm-hmm. though you've got the tax, uh, although it's a, a, a grant, which you don't have to repay, it's not a loan, you do actually have to file it in your taxes. So we will be paying on that as well. Yeah, oh yeah, but there's no interest on it. No, well, there's no interest. They're throwing out the uh, in other areas is, yeah, great. Give people this period of time interest free, or give them uh, next to nothing. But you're still encouraging people to get into debt. Anyway, I'm going slightly off track there, but okay. So, so we've covered we've covered that you need to have a good risk assessment. We need to have policies and procedures in place, and they have to be adhered to. Okay, we've and, covered. And I would sum that up by saying, have it actually to pay take time to have a look at which i don't think you know the vast majority of people don't hopefully they will from having watched this go and have a read it's free to access from the website go and have a download have a look at an overview of the health and safety act yeah well you you can actually um uh, if you i know that you were putting links underneath 
Um, so the if you go to legislation.gov.uk. Legislation.gov.uk, yeah. Every act that has been that that has been uh, gone through Parliament is actually listed there with all the different amendments. So you can actually see everything from uh, health and safety at work, risk and uh, uh, management regulations, the uh, for manual handling regulations, first aid acts, fires, the fire act, everything is in there, everything. So you can actually go and find out more. And I would recommend that everybody goes and looks because they'll be surprised. They'll be surprised at what what actually you you need in place to run a business in the UK. It's not just a case of paying your taxes. You do need a lot of paperwork. Um, now we we talked a little bit about um, so we've talked about the risk assessment and stuff like that. You guys did a fantastic job yesterday outlining all the stuff for therapy um, and for your your stage shows. One of the things that you talked about was um, data protection in GDPR. Yeah. Uh, so that's the control of information that you're allowed to, to share. Well, one of the things that you talked about was th that you could end up in, or Stuart talked about, could end up in hot water by passing over information. Well, actually, under GDPR, you have the, one of the six tenants which you can which you collect information under is legal obligation. Now, as a uh, uh, with legal obligation, um, you are allowed to pass to third parties like the police or investigating authorities. So you wouldn't be held accountable for passing over data. The thing is, just in England, to play devil's advocate with that, I agree in that context, yeah. But UK government are coming up with this track and trace system, albeit that they've codged it up and they've got to get a new app done, and that's about saying which people you've been in contact with however it is not a legal requirement to get that app or to cooperate with the track and trace people actually you have there you've got to remember okay so there are different as much as we do not have an infection control act in the uk all right i can't speak about other localities but um in the uk we don't have an infection control act mm -hmm. we have posh act control of substance hazardous to health which is chemical based but we don't have infection control because it's covered in other things so it should be infection control is covered by health and safety at work it will be covered by kosh it will be covered by a little little known thing but if you've ever done any first aid course they'll talk about rider report of incidences dangerous yes. occurrences and diseases that is a disease which needs to be um, if you've got somebody off sick as an employer uh, or a business owner, if you have somebody who is off sick, there are certain diseases that you have to report. So you are not exempt from it, from the point of view of saying, well, I don't really want to because it's, a, it's not a disease that's been proved or anything like that. Actually, it's already in place. Um, we don't need a tracker because you should be you should hand over the information anyway. What I would suggest is if you are doing face-to-face, -face, now again, in line with your risk assessment, your policies, your procedures, your infection control and everything else, I would be looking at taking dates, times and a formal record of anybody attending therapy. 
I would get them to sign a disclaimer saying that they have uh, or a medical de declaration form saying that they have no symptoms. Um, but you should really be doing that anyway because you're taking somebody onto your premises. That you, you know, you can always destroy them afterwards. Yeah. I would yeah. suggest that you keep them at the moment because this is going to be ongoing and the insurance company is going to ask for your due diligence. I would do a temperature check. So you could either do it with a thermometer, which has been suitably um, um, disinfected, or, or with a, a distance where you can do a, a laser-based temperature gauge now. I would be checking temperatures before I let them in. I would be keeping a note of who came and who was before and after them. And I would, and I would keep all that information. Again, I would be doing my my stuff online. I wouldn't be. I would be looking well, at. I couldn't it. agree with you more. At the moment, the simple fact is, until as I the way I understand it, and please do correct me if I'm wrong, because that's the whole reason why I've asked you, because you I know you know what you're on about. Um, but a simplified version of it all is the. Health and safety-wise, the idea is to minimise the risk as much as is possible, realistically yeah. possible, within your capabilities. No, and it's first, within your capabilities to get... To eliminate. The first step, everybody goes, oh, we can minimise well, the risk. All right, to eliminate. Eliminate. To eliminate, then, is to not see a client face-to-face -face for hypnotherapy in person when there is the option... If you don't have internet, there is the option to get internet fitted so that you yes. can then get a device and do it via Zoom, Skype, yep. Facebook video messenger, other video services may be available in your area type yep. thing, but to do it over the internet. And I know a lot of therapists have that mental block. Well, it can't be as effective. The client won't believe it will be as effective, but that comes down to your marketing, advertising, publicity and promotion. If you create the belief in the client so that when they contact you and book a session, they already believe that you know it will work just as well. And why shouldn't it? You can still see them. You can yeah. still hear them. And you're putting your health and safety at the beginning to make sure they're in something they won't fall out of. And the things we spoke about yesterday, then without a doubt, at the moment, until the government in your country, it depends where you are, but talking England-wise, until in England, for example, at the minute, hairdressers and beauticians are not open in England. They're legally not allowed to. There's talk it's going to be the 4th of July when they're allowed to open as long as they can meet certain distancing and PPE and other criteria. Mm -hmm. I would be waiting till at least then, if you're a face-to-face -face hypnotherapist, I would think of yourself as being a massage therapist. Although as a hypnotherapist, you never have to touch them. I would still wait until the government is saying it's okay for massage therapists and stuff to be trading again and yeah. ensure that you meet the same criteria that they are. Because yeah, yeah. then if a claim was to be made against you, you will be able to show that not only are you meeting the minimal expectations, but you've gone above and beyond. That's and that's, 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 where we're, that's where we're looking at. So when, when you're looking at um, litigation, you're looking at making sure that not only did you, you meet the, the minimum steps, but you went as, as far above it as you as you could. Yeah. But 
reasonably practicable uh, is what the key is. So it's risk versus cost. Okay. Now I know yesterday you you gave a legal definition of of, of safety. Actually, the the definition you gave was of reasonable, not safety. So reasonable is to the to the standard of a reasonable person or what would be held as reasonable amongst your peers. So that's what we're looking at. Reasonably practicable is what we talk about in health and safety circles. So it's if it's going to cost you two pounds to put a mask on and that'll save a life and you don't do it, then yeah. you're going to be held accountable. If it costs 15 million pounds and it's to stop somebody stubbing their toe, you wouldn't need to do it. It's risk versus cost. OK, right. so what we're looking at is how can you stand in court and not not only in court okay because because as as healthcare professionals we should have morals and ethics in place okay yeah. we yeah. should be uh, as a business people we should be concerned about the customer customer is always right no they're not but you know what we can say is i don't want to make money on the off chance somebody dies at the other end if it means that i do my business online so that so that somebody else doesn't die, that's fine. Now, I see a lot of people arguing and saying, well, my business, I need to be open, I need to be doing this. The way I would ask them is, is there someone in your life that you care about? Yes. If your business was open, would kill that person, would you open your business? And if that answer is no, then that answer should be no to you opening your business right across the board. It shouldn't be... If potentially you're cashing in, I know it's a sick way of looking at it, but makes the point if you're cashing in potentially on somebody's death, frankly, that makes you no better than a florist. Exactly. Um, so, so if, 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 you know, supermarkets are op- were, have been open all the way through, I, I completely understand we need to get food, okay? But when they opened, human up, need, yes. that, they opened up garden centres, I'm sitting there going, right, so you can open a garden centre. We can go protesting, but we can't go back to doing normal life. Mm. It, it, it's it, you know to me that's it, I would be looking at I would be looking at going after the ones. Now this is a personal opinion, and I haven't been outright about my personal opinions often in this interview. Um, and you know we've had discussions before, and anybody anybody watching this will know that I am quite forthright in my opinions. Um, I would be looking at saying the social distancing that has been breached in some of the protests, there should be health and safety prosecutions for the organisers. They should be looking at stuff from that point of view. If the businesses are suffering so much because we're sitting back trying to do the right thing, then there should be prosecutions for people who are not following the guidance. Now, I know there's a difference between guidance and acts. But we're actually talking about businesses. So if your business, we're not talking about guidance on COVID. We're talking about health and safety law, which has been in place since 1974. Nobody can say they didn't know it existed. You know, we're getting to the stage in life where um, I, I was born in 1970. So I know for, you know, for there was... It came in four years after I was born. There's no way that I can say I didn't understand that there was a Health and Safety at Work Act. Yeah. Everybody should know it. Everybody should understand their their uh, 
duty of care under that act. Um, there is um, one of the things that I would I would we, we you talked a good bit yesterday about um, about um, disinfecting cleaning. You talked about uh, stage safety um, under under the Health and Safety at Work Act um, section two, which I, I, I quoted earlier on. Actually, there's another there's there's another um, there's a, another section of it in section two, which is you have to provide safe entrance and egress. So when people are coming into your shows or people are coming into your your clinic, you have to make sure that it's safe. So that that suggests that it goes at, that your duty of care actually extends beyond what you what we worked on yesterday, which is um, the this little square box that we're actually going to be doing our thing in. The safe egress and, and entrance could suggest that maybe every door handle needs to be wiped down after every client. If it's only you using the building, that's possible. But how do you wipe it down after if it's there's more than one person using? You know, that's not safe entrance and egress now because other people have touched it. Um, you've got, I, I, I talked about, uh, we, we all talk about hand sanitizer. We talked about latex, latex uh, face masks. Some people will be offering latex gloves. You have to be aware of the, the issues with that. Some people may turn out to be allergic to the hand, the san, the hand sanitizer that you use. Mm. Or any of the Kosh um, cleaning chemicals that you use in your to disinfect. So all those things need to be looked at. I mean, it is a it is a large thing that you should have already had in place, and you should be just fine tweaking it for COVID. But yeah. the majority yeah. of people don't consider this. Don't think of the the implications under the Health and Safety at Work Act. Um, now. We've talked about this at depth, and I know you're a great a great advocate of CPD, and you've mentioned CPD several times, even just during this. You talked about it yesterday, and I know you cover it in your courses. But look at taking yourself just outside of your own box and saying, what else can I put in place? What what else? So we've discussed doing a, a COVID course, and mm-hmm. look at doing a risk assessment course, look at doing a fire safety course, you know, first aid. Um, manual handling, you know, all those different things all are covered by the Act and are in place that you need to have policies, procedures and training in place. And most businesses don't. So I, I applaud you for, for bringing this up for COVID. Um, and I know that you've discussed it and I know that I still this will make people pay attention. I couldn't agree with you more. The health and safety yep. applied before all this and it will apply afterwards. Um, I mean, people don't seem to be paying attention. I mean, we had a big we, we had a big discussion once before about doing. Uh, you were doing a conference, and you were looking at doing a conference. It was it was Steve. You went no, and did a conference. yes, Steve. Yeah. Um, so we, we talked about going and doing stuff there for CPD for people. I think it should be all part and parcel of what you actually do as your hypnosis training or your NLP training that you should get. Um, in depth, I know it increases the amount of the hours that you do, but for the ones that have already got qualifications, look at doing it as CPD. For the guys coming in new, for the boys and girls coming in who are, who are looking at doing the training, increase the training a little bit and give them a better business model. 
I know you sell yours as business in a box, and you are you are by far one of the best. I mean, between yourself and Mark Dawes, um, I, I can't recommend anybody anymore. I mean, I talk about you guys when I'm over in the States, Thank when you. I, I talked about you in Europe. Um, you know, anytime I'm talking about a course when I talk about NLP, I, I discuss both yourself, Alex, and Mark Dawes. Um, and I'm indebted for the information that I've got from you guys. So what I would say is, you know, you guys are already setting the standard well above. It's up to the other training providers now to step up and say and look at this and go, maybe if we had better health and safety in place, maybe if we had higher standards, maybe we would be get on the checklist for getting back to work quicker. Um, this might sound arsey or it might sound like I'm saying it tongue in cheek. Viewers, listeners can decide for themselves what context I'm saying this in. But I think a lot of the other hypnotherapy training providers couldn't care less about covering things like health and safety, duty of care, the related laws and stuff, because the simple fact is they also don't bother to teach their students how to set up a profitable business and attract clients and make money. So the chances of most of their students encountering issues is minimal because they're not getting any clients anyway. Okay. Well, this this next comment is for the training providers then. This is directed at the training providers and the trainers. If your client, your customer, the learner ends up in court defending what they have done, the training will be called into view and you could be sued as well. If yep. your training is not up to a recognized standard, it has to be provided to a recognized standard. And if it can be proved that there was liabilities in the training, then it's not down to the learner. It's down to the training provider. If you provide so you have to be able to evidence that your training covered all the boxes, ticked everything and actually went in depth in the sections especially if you're selling it as a business in a box then you should have covered business governance as part of it there should have been a module on it you should have done um you should have taken the learners through it they talked about marketing but looked at health and safety so there is a due diligence from the training provider's point of view as well and they are liable to the same level and can actually be prosecuted as being under breach of health and safety because they have taught you how to to do your business so you know it, it, it then becomes so when the person comes suing okay so if you've got if you've got um if if i was injured at a show or maybe i caught covid at a show hypothetically i would be sitting there and my lawyer would be going looking at going after the venue to make sure all their policies and procedures were in place and i would go after the, the 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 performer i would then go after the training provider i would be looking at three bites of the cherry where somebody's bound to pay out and if not i'm going to get three lots of settlements so Training providers, listen to me and listen to me clear when I'm clear about this. If you don't provide the goods and services to the right level and your learner ends up in court, you are liable for what you teach. You're giving professional advice. I cannot say that enough. 
So if you, you know, I would recommend that you have all the different things in place that an off-call regulated awarding body would have. I would have um, proper assessments. I would have um, recognised teaching practices. I would, uh, you know, um, if you are a training provider, you should be looking at, at offering the best service you can. None of us know everything, okay? I have to go away and do CPD every year on every subject that I teach just to remain sector competent. My CPD gets called into question. My teaching qualifications get called into question. My experience, my sector competence gets called into question. All of that then fits into what the learner has learned. So I, I, it, there is a hierarchy of, of where blame will be, will be aimed. But ultimately, we're all in the same boat. We all need to be looking at health and safety better. We all, you know, it starts with the business, but maybe as providers, we should be setting up a bar. I agree with you more. And, and this, I'm saying partly, well, I'm not saying it tongue-in-cheek, because I genuinely, fuck it if I offend people. Uh, it's true. The video of today with Stuart and yesterday's video with the other Stuart those two videos together constitute more bloody health and safety, duty of care training than probably 95% of hypnotherapy training providers bloody covering their courses, which is ridiculous because we've only scraped the surface. Um, what, I, what I would suggest, and, and, and I know we've talked about this, Alex, is that there, we all worry about guidance and we all worry about um, um, governance from 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 awarding organizations or membership associations and all that sort of stuff if you have a recognized qualification in any of the different things that we're talking about you have experience and expertise to write your risk assessment so if you are you know what i would suggest is to everybody watching this go out and get your qualifications and what you need to be doing Get proper qualifications. Make sure that the training that you have done hits a required standard, not just it was the shortest course I could get on and it was the best amount of money. Because when you're standing in court, you could be five years of litigation waiting for it to come out the other end. Now, morally and ethically, if somebody died at my hand because I hadn't done stuff right, I, I the guilt that I would experience, I, I would quit everything. I wouldn't do anything ever again, probably, because I am that strong moral and ethical code. Okay. Other people, maybe not so much, but five years of court and litigation is going to start to take a toll on you personally. You know, the stress that you would be under, remove the stress, go away and do a one day course on something, get a bit of certificate, a bit of paper to prove that you are what, as good as you think you are. Okay. That's the best advice that we can give. You, most organizations, you need to do CPD anyway. The tax man pays for it. You can claim up back your courses at a later date. I've spent thousands with Alex um, over the years. I mean, I, I probably shouldn't say that because my missus will see it now and then she'll go nuts at me later. But I, all, <laughs> I, I will edit that bit out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've spent a pound or two on yeah. Alex years um, but the advice that I've got 
the stuff that I've got from Mark Dawes, um, Mark actually, Mark Dawes actually runs a level three risk assessment course, which is phenomenal. Uh -huh. All right. There's there's health and safety courses out there. We run them. Now, maybe maybe it's something that we need to do is, is uh, I mean, it will be below this video or audio podcast if you want to get in touch with Stuart and uh, explore that, because I can certainly recommend I spoke with Stuart at length in private about things. And it's not this yeah. isn't meant to be a sell. I know. I know that, you know, everybody thinks that it's a plug and it's a sell and this is what we're doing. No. Maybe we need to sit down. Maybe there needs to be some kind of governance. Maybe there needs to be like a, if you if you if you if you're in primary school and you go into secondary school, when you do your exams, everybody understands what an NVQ is. Everybody understands what an A level is. Everybody understands what well a level three qualification is the same as an A level. So Mark Dawes's qualification was at the same recognised level as an A level. Why, why is nobody else doing this? Why don't we have, why don't we all sit down, get all the providers together, organize a conference, and we sit down and we say, this is what we want in place moving forward. This will be sorting out what we need to do. This will be the best practices. This will be what the learners need. Actually have it and then go to Ofqual or any of the awarding organizations in the UK because they all measure up to the Ofqual regulated standard. Go to an, uh, uh, an off-call regulated awarding body and get something put in place which is legally defendable in court. It would be wonderful, but you know why it hasn't happened? Uh, this is conjecture, I know, but it's based upon partly money, but, but not money in the sense of what it would cost to do. Um, a lot of the training providers, I genuinely, and I mean the vast majority of them, when it comes down to it deep down, they... They don't cover things like marketing and all that because they actually don't want people to go out there and be able to set up a successful business um, because they don't want competition for themselves. Uh, the, 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 seriously, there's, there's that element. There's also the element that uh, a number of them are involved in the so-called respectable societies, which I won't mention names of, but... Um, and that they have their own rules and they want to be seen as we are the governing thing for this industry but as you pointed out already the irony of it is these hypnotherapy associations pay people pay a yearly fee there's no legal requirement to be in them yeah they are useful placebo marketing tool maybe but that's about it and they have the rules and regulations you're supposed to abide by you know what if you look at those rules and regulations closely most of them don't even come close to saying that as a member, you've got, you know, the, the stuff that's there in law that Stuart's spoken about, the Health and Safety Act and other things, actually goes above and beyond any of the membership rules of these things, thus effectively deeming their so-called uh, being a member of that society pointless, frankly, because over here are laws that actually stand for more and are what would be used against you if you hadn't abided by them and found yourself in that unfortunate position. But but then uh, it falls the onus falls on the the trader, the, the the business owner, that they should be matching what the law says. But it also falls on those those societies because if they've given that guidance, then they could be pulled into it as well. There's 
it used to be that that you only you only got one bite of the cherry, so the person that you sued. But now you can open it up to everybody. You can actually sit down and say, well, actually, if they had had better governance and guidance in that association, maybe that wouldn't have happened. There can be investigations opened up right across the board. And, um, you know, um, there's a, a link to. We're going to put links underneath, obviously, to the legislation itself so you can go yeah. and look at it. The Health and Safety Executive uh, website is guidance. OK, um, it's guidance. It's not law. Legislation.gov.uk is the laws. Yeah. It's the laws. But you have to remember that that guidance is from the investigating authority, which is going to come knocking at your door. So they're telling you what they're actually looking for you to have in place. Yeah. To 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 be so again, as much as it's guidance, and they do have a bit on their site saying that this is not legally binding. It's worth um, paying attention to because that's what they're going to look at. Of course it is. Of course it is, because that's what they're coming for. So yeah. they're giving you a list of all the different things that you should have in place. All right. Um, I think I think there is an opportunity here while we're still in lockdown, because we are in lockdown. We can't uh, as much as you can still do therapy sessions. All right. There is an opportunity here for you to go and get yourself qualified and other stuff. To improve yourself. Now, there's there's things that you can add to your. I, I know you're big on your marketing. Is is additional unique selling points for your business. Yeah. Make sure that you've got your first aid training. Make sure you've got your fire safety. Make sure then you don't have to pay. You don't have to pay for templates. You can write the stuff yourself. Mm. You know, you're saving your money in the long run. As I said, training can be paid for by out your taxes anyway. You can claim it back as long as it's in relation to your business. So health and safety training is applicable to any business. So we should be looking at pushing this forward and doing better for ourselves, because really, in this day and age, um, you know, if you were if you were 30 years ago, you could you I mean, you were act, you were performing 30 years ago, Alex, the, the rules, the rules you had to jump through then compared to what you have to jump through now, uh, you know, We've improved and we've moved forward. This, this, oh, well, it's not the way we used to do it, doesn't count in a court of law. You have to be able to prove. A prime example of that, when I started out doing stage shows and therapy, which is like, well, it's over 30 years ago, just. This is going to sound like a ridiculous example. And for viewers and listeners, I'm giving it because it does sound like a ridiculous example, because I think it perfectly sums up how people take things for granted when they shouldn't. Years ago when I started, you'd literally arrive at a venue and you plug your PA system in, or you'd be a therapist and you might have plugged your computer or get all blaster that you were using for the therapy music in the wall. And that was pretty much it, because you assumed or you had an electrical safety certificate that said the building you were using was okay and safe. Now, and it's been this way for quite a while, but now that's not good enough. And yet you st- I still I've witnessed that show up and just plug stuff in the wall or most therapists, I guarantee, will just have their lamp on the desk plugged into the wall. If that's your office where the member of the public's coming into, there has to be a breaker switch on it which means that it's not a normal plug or it's a 
breaker plug that goes in, then your plug goes in that, so that if there was an electrical surge, it will automatically break out. If you haven't got that in place, you're actually breaking. I forget what the actual, uh, but it comes under electrical safety. Plus, you need part testing. Pardon? Plus, you need part testing. Yeah, exactly. Unless you bought the item brand new, then you don't need to part test it for three years. It's three years, is it, off the top of it? It's like with an MOT when you buy a brand new car. Actually, actually, part testing, uh, part testing rules are something that I don't really want to go into, but it's worth reading the legislation on part testing as well, okay? Um, because that, there's a lot of eye openers and stuff like that. Um, there is a lot of things that you think. And for personal appliance testing, but although it's the word personal at the beginning, it still applies to business. Yes, yes. So um, there is loads and loads of things that, that we need to be looking at. Um, I know we've discussed this, but an unashamed plug. If myself, Alex, and, and I would probably want to speak to Mark Dawes about it as well, mm-hmm. we're looking to do something where we had an, an awarding organization, specialist qualification. If you would be interested in it, please register. Get in touch. Leave a comment underneath. It would require us to do a bit of work. But if, if there was enough interest in it, then we could we could move forward with this. It could actually be something to set a gold standard, not only for for the UK, but it could be rolled out around the world. All right. Now, if you're interested in us doing it, then that's great. If if another training provider wants to jump on and get involved, register underneath as well, because obviously, you know, there is there's always seats at the table for everybody. We want it to be as encompassing as it could be. Um, I would I would love to be involved in something like that. I, I love getting involved in qualifications. Um, I know Alex is passionate about teaching. I know Mark Dawes is a big advocate of of um, health and safety law and 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 his whole, he actually runs uh, the National Federation for Personal Safety. Um, yeah. Which is which is big for and and he's a a world class uh, a legal expert in the use of force and in in compliance and corporate manslaughter and stuff like that and he's he's a he's a big hitter not not a small fry like me. You barely um, see it, and a lot of training providers sadly don't because they see the threat to their business. And and this is going to sound egotistical, but Eddie, I don't see myself as having any competition. Simple as. Because there's no. nobody teaches everything that I teach. Exactly. Um, so I, I, I'm not bothered. I quite happily would work alongside other training providers um, because, you know, and they, if they truly stand behind what they teach, should have the, the personal uh, confidence and conviction to not feel threatened. Uh, although I can understand why some of them would, could I categorically stay? I'd say at least 95% of them don't even come close to the level of health and safety, duty of care stuff that I cover in uh, the Elite Hypnosis Bootcamp. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is my intention to build on that while this lockdown's there and look into getting um, guides on other elements of business governance and stuff that you mentioned. Yep. 
that whilst they won't give people qualifications in that area, at least we'll give them further, you know, I mean, this video and yesterday's are going straight at the top of the boot camp with the website links underneath going, you know, these are things you've got to consider and not just consider, but take action on. Um, And it would benefit everyone in the industry because at the end of the day, if somebody who's done xyz course over here you might not like them as a trainer but politics aside it's not about whether you like the person personally it's not about the fact is if somebody over here has at some point a case occur god forbid it happens but if it did the publicity of that court case Yes. Be detrimental to the entire industry to some degree. Now, don't get me wrong, with the right marketing and use of public relations, people over here who are not connected to that training company in any way and not a student of them can put a spin on it, take the moral high ground in the media and actually use it to their advantage. But generally speaking, it's better for the industry and everybody's income if, if we're all as safe as we bloody can possibly be. Of course. Right. The, 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 the way I look at it is I could I can be a hypnotherapist. I can be an NLP practitioner and work with clients. And I, I want people to respect me as that. But I'm not prepared to go and get an award in body qualification like a beauty therapist does. They have to have proper qualifications. If, if you want to be doing um, a forklift driver has to have proper qualifications. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be an HGV driver, you have to have a license and then continue your professional development. Why are we different? Why, why if we're demanding the professionals to be the professionals that, that we want to be, why don't we have to have a proper qualification? Why can we just go and do it off of uh, Jimmy down the pub who, who's rented upstairs in the pub and is doing three days? Why? What, does, what makes that training fit for purpose? I think that we need to look at the amount of hours that you put in, that you, you know, you're covering all the different sections. I mean, even to stand the security at the club or venue you're using requires a level two qualification for them to apply for their license to be able to stand and and allow people into a licensed premises. A door supervisor is a licensed qualification. After is, and I'm fairly well. Not until recently, I became I became aware that there is uh, there are one or two other stage hypnotists in the world that actually have done similar to me. I'm not sure if they did it before or after. But when um, they were going to bring in the Licensing Act 2003 in England, I I was actually at the time also, ironically, I'd semi-retired. So I was about to buy um, a reasonably sized licensed premises um, and then get staffing to run it. I mean, that part of the story is irrelevant. But I thought if I'm doing that, I personally um, want premises licensed and this, that, the other. So I'm going to go and do the license in that course and get me personal alcohol license, which yep. I did. Um, mm-hmm. And because of the way the laws now change, I've got that for life. It used to be that you had to reapply sort of uh, every 10 years, but to scrap that basically until the law changes, I've got that for life. Yes. I'm legally obliged to keep up to date with the changes. 
um, which I've done recently. But the point is, other than one or two stage hypnotists who I know have done similar, the vast majority of stage hypnotists have not got a personal alcohol license. I, I can contact, for the sake of having done that, I can contact licensed premises owners, mention that I have got my personal alcohol license, and that within that, and because of that, partly, um, I understand what they, what their obligations are. Yeah. And because of that, I can assure them that what I'm going to provide them will fulfill the obligations that they have to. Mm -hmm. And they know that if I put in the contract mention of the fact that I've got my personal license, they can ask for the number, which they can check out. A mention of that, I become then legally liable for the fact that I've said I'm going to provide it to that level um, because I've got said qualification and I, and I brought it into the mix. But that can actually, things can be used to actually help you get through doors that you might not have got through before. So, so, so if you were offering that on the course say you talked about licensing law in the course, wouldn't it be nice to be able to stand there at the end of the course and say, I've also got this certificate, I've got this certificate, I've got this, because it's been covered in the training. All they have to do is then, well, you know, there's loads and loads of different things that you could then go around. So when they, they turn around and they say, as Mr. Uh, Mr. Smith, as you are um, a hypnotist and you're working on stages and you're working in licensed premises, what experience do you have? Well, I'm a personal license holder and I've been deemed to be a fit and proper person for selling alcohol. I understand the laws. I understand the rules and regulations. I understand that everything that's included in that. Standing there with your license shows due diligence, shows competency. Why wouldn't everybody want that? Why? You know, I, I don't. I. It's not expensive. I, I, mean, I don't know what it is right now, I'll be honest. But when I took it, which was back in... Well, it's not really altered then. I think I paid about 110. I think it's I think it's it's 120 quid is what it is up here in Scotland. Right. Okay. Well, it's not changed much then. I paid 110 quid, and that was when it first started. Before the law became law, when they did the first ever courses, I jumped on board then. Okay. Well, well, just an unashamed plug. We offer it as an online course. So if anybody wants to get right. in touch. If anybody wants to get in touch with me, we can do it as an online course. You Links won't get the, below. Yeah, you won't, video get or the, audio. you won't get the full certificate because you need to sit an exam in person. But we can arrange the exam in person at a later date if you wanted the full certificate. But the awarding body offers an online course, which we provide, which it covers all the all the stuff. Nice. Yeah, it'll be down below. I you just reminded me of something we haven't covered, and but it ties in, and it's because we've mentioned personal licensing that I, I, I've remembered it. Because okay. part of that process, um, albeit it was only a basic disclosure, I had to get a basic disclosure from Disclosure Scotland um, yes. to get my personal license. Now, having then got that and becoming aware of all that, I did get my, at the time it was... Um, CRB, Criminal Records Bureau, um, check, and it's now changed in England to DBS, yeah. um, of which I've got an enhanced one. Actually, I got, I got the email last week that it needs um, it needs redoing 
um, in terms of the three years having passed. Yeah. But Criminal Records Bureau checks in England, different countries have equivalents, some do, but in England, it's DR, uh, DBS, formerly CRB. Yeah. I personally, while there is no legal requirement as such, unless you're going to work with vulnerable people, and let me play devil's advocate here, the law says if you're going to work with vulnerable people, and it has a definition of what vulnerable people are, which is generally people with special needs, certain other categories. But I would argue that anyone who goes to a hypnotherapist, given that what we do involves um, reprogramming their unconscious mind, I would argue that because there is an imbalance in one of the areas I teach about, emotional imbalance somewhere is always the cause of an issue. I would argue that that does put them into the vulnerable person category and that therefore you do have a legal obligation to have a current up-to-date enhanced DBS-CRB check. So a, a, a vulnerable adult is defined as any person with special needs or who is under the influence of a prescribed uh, medicine or drug. So therefore, by that definition, anybody in a licensed premises is under a drug, alcohol. So if you're going to be interacting with them, it could be argued, it hasn't been argued as yet, but it could be argued that if you've got that person under your duty of care, that you would need that you should be a fit and proper person and have a disclosure check. There was no case law yet, but the fact is there wasn't case law at one point in history about certain other things that there is now case law for that means that you'd be screwed if it came up because there's case law against you. There's always going to be a first for things, and if you can protect yourself as a business and an individual – and also, you know, you can use it again as a positive benefit. I'm, I'm, you know, I've got a, a, an enhanced uh, CRB DBS check. Um, and how do you get one where you can't, as an individual, do that? Um, you need a third-party body. I use a company called Acorn Direct, um, whose link, if I find it, I'll put below here. But I'm sure that... Um, Stuart, if you contact him, knows of companies that will do it for you as well. You can't, as an individual, apply for an enhanced CRB, but you can apply. If you put yourself down as being an entertainer, stage hypnotist, dead easy. If you put yourself down as an entertainer there and say that on occasion, this is not about lying, because this could possibly happen. You've got to put that on occasion you may possibly end up working for family audiences, possibly in holiday camps, for example, where kids are present, and that gives them the legal justification to be able to apply for your enhanced um, check for you. I I know you're going to put links underneath. Um, I actually give out a business audit form, which where which lists all the different things. Now, again, we're not giving legal advice. This is just opinions. Okay, so don't come back at a later date and say... All of the disclaimers given yesterday on the 22nd of June 2020 with Stuart Harrison Cassells categorically stated then that tomorrow's, which is now today's 23rd of June, all those disclaimers and warnings apply here. Okay, I think possibly stick it in writing underneath as well. Um, But what, what I'll do is I'll give you a copy of our business audit form 
Now, it doesn't cover every eventuality because, again, it's your business. You have to look at it from your personal, unique circumstances and then do what you think is right for your business. But it lists the majority of all the different. So it does the, it does um, what you need to look at for um, it. It outlines it doesn't outline every act, but it outlines the majority of the businesses. Uh, circumstances. Okay to share with viewers and listeners. Yes, I'll I'll stick up a, a word document with that. Okay, in which case, what I will do, viewers and listeners, I'm going to place that document when I get it off Stuart into my hypnoth. It's very long title: Hypnotherapy, NLP, Stage Hypnosis, Freak Hypnotism, Facebook Group in the Files section. Um, so if you join that Facebook group for free, go to the file section, it will be in there to be able to download it. That way it's not going to cost either of us any fortune in bandwidth when tons of people have downloaded it. I would I would recommend that, that you know, people do bang us up and, and give us a, a little bit of a, a, you know, a message back on the courses because we could cover so much. You know, we could, I mean, that what we've covered in two days between Stuart yesterday and myself, we've we've covered a lot of stuff. I mean, there's there's probably what I don't know how long we've been going just now, but what must be one hour and three quarters precisely. Right. Okay. So so there between the two days we've covered nearly five hours worth of training. Yeah. Or discussion anyway. Which when or, you or, add in lunch break and morning and afternoon break, that is the equivalent of a full day's. Nearly, nearly so if so guys girls get on board be the best you can be i mean i'm not trying to sell it but obviously i'd like to make some money but if you you know if we could put together a qualification that was singing and dancing and had all the whistles and bells that would that would meet all the criteria that you know we've got no governance at the moment we're unregulated in both sides in both the therapy and in the stage shows you know it'll come eventually it has to come because the government will see that it is oh if we get them licensed or if we have them doing this we well, you know the irony of it I, you know i all but i've just got to for full disclosure and honesty when it comes to stage shows in england uh, it, there was the 1952 hypnotism act then the 1989 guidelines Home office model conditions reviewed in 1995 with the 1996 updated model conditions. And then there's also the considerations of the Licensing Act 2003, which makes mention of it and also changes the interpretation of some of the stuff previous because of the Licensing Act. However, generally speaking, it's become easier and easier and easier over the years for stage hypnotists. And I know that in the background, it, state, the hypnosis about 1952 and the follow-ons from there has been brought up on several occasions now when they start mooting old acts, statue laws to abolish. Right. Um, and it's actually probably a matter of time till it's abolished and it becomes even easier for UK stage hypnotists. But, but very much like the, the security industry for pubs and clubs, the government saw that there was a chance to license it and make money. Yeah. So if they decide that they license, they want to license all therapists, then there'll be a requirement for you to, to actually go 
and, and set a formal course, wouldn't it be better if we were the go-to people? And wouldn't even it? if they didn't, there's still the simple fact is the laws, forget, if they have to scrap the uh, UK Hypnotism Act, say it was scrapped, health and safety law still exists. Of course it does, yeah. And, yeah. and you know... Yeah, and that's that's the that's the the defining feature. You know, it's it's there. It's in a, it's it's written down. It's in stone. Um, it can only be changed by an act of parliament. And when I hear people talking about COVID and saying I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, I, I go, there's no laws in place. There is laws in place. Health and Safety at Work Act. You can't change that. They didn't repeal it. No. So therefore, everything that people are doing, if they're breaking the law, could be a criminal charge could be a criminal and and if somebody dies then you'll be prosecuted under the corporate manslaughter act um i can't remember what it was a, a while back i don't know if it's changed but when it first came out it was two hundred and fifty thousand pounds per offense and and six months in jail well if you've got i know we talked about it yesterday there's you can't have 12 people on but say you had 12 people that's 12 offenses even if they don't all die, if one person dies, that's 12 offences you've committed. So your £250,000 is now multiplied by 12. Your six months is now no longer six months. It should be six years. You know, you're, you're looking, it, it, it changes things. So your insurance probably won't cover it, you know, because you're sitting there going, if you if they found that you're you know uh, that's taken into account only the people on the stage. If you're taking into account the amount of people in the audience, say there's a hundred people in the audience, nobody's insurance. I mean, employers' liability insurance um, is only ten million mm-hmm. per case. So you're you're sitting going, you're not even going to be able to fund that off of your insurance claim. And be aware there is a difference. <laughs> There is a difference between public liability insurance and professional indemnity insurance. Now, generally speaking, in fairness, most hypnotherapy policies that people go and buy and they go going, I've just sorted my public liability insurance. The vast majority of them do also include professional indemnity. Mm-hmm. But do not automatically assume that is the case. They are two different things. Public liability covers for if somebody trips over a rug in your office, for example. Professional indemnity is the side that covers if they claim that you've psychologically damaged them with the hypnotherapy treatment. They're two different things. Generally speaking, the policy covers both. But check in the same way as I said yesterday, check that your policy will actually cover you for doing virtual sessions. And your employer's liability covers anybody who is staff or volunteer. So it's a separate section altogether. So it could be argued that if they volunteered to come onto the stage, you would need employer's liability as well. Mm. Now, again, that's not case law. But it could, def- it could definitely be argued in England. I think it would be impossible for them to argue that purely because of the government document statute law and the home office stuff that says that a condition of legally performing as a stage hypnotist is that you have in place 
and, and ironically, it says public liability insurance. There is no mention of professional indemnity on there. And there's no mention of employer's liability. All they actually mention is public liability insurance that will cover, But and this is ironic because this is supposed to have been written by the government, public liability insurance that will cover the audience members taking part in the show. Now, they do clarify that also it should cover for, it should have in-trance cover, which means that it covers for while well, they're hypnotised for any potential psychological damage. Well, the irony of it is that's professional indemnity, not public liability. That part. Well, I would. I, again, we 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 harped on about it yesterday, and we keep saying, and I want to, you know, push it again. Legal opinions. We're not lawyers. Mm. If you want legal opinion, you have to go and, and to a lawyer. Hire, hire the services of a professionally. Um, qualified and practicing lawyer, not just yeah. not just Joey down the pub who thinks he knows what the law is. Um, yes, I have experience in health and safety. Yes, I train and deliver qualifications in health and safety, and I am an expert to that level, but not in law. So I, again, we need to get that out there. If you're looking for financial advice and security, go and see a financial advisor and speak to your, your insurance company. But if you do, sure. find one who lives, and just, this is not relevant to what we're talking to, but it kind of is, let's <laughs> follow. Find a fucking financial advisor who actually is financially independent and successful. Do a checkout on the background, right? Seriously, because it's fucking ridiculous the number of people I know who've lost money because they've followed the advice of a financial advisor who's properly registered with all the financial services authority, but that person is living in a tiny house. Fine, that could be you could have a millionaire who's chosen to live in a tiny house, but they're driving around in a clapped-out car. They can't afford to get it repaired properly. They're mortgaged up to the eyeballs. That's not a financial advisor to take financial advice from. Take yep. advice from people who are actually being successful in the area that you require the advice in. Yes, yes. Make sure it's a, pro a professionally trained and qualified expert mm. that you get any advice from. So, um, so we've dealt with UK legislation. We've dealt with risk assessments. We've touched on insurance. Um, we've discussed COVID training, going and getting COVID yeah. training. Um, we've talked about possibly putting together a course um, People, make comments. Let us know. Yeah. Tag us. Let's tag go. us in the comments so that we know that they're coming in and or message us via our websites. Yeah. If, if we get enough interest, then we can make it happen. It's yeah. a simple supply and demand thing. Yes, yes. There's no point doing something if, if there's if there's no if there's no custom for it. Um, but I would still I would suggest that you get in touch. Uh, you you look online, Google it, get yourself qualifications for all the different areas that you really need to be running a business um, and then see what you don't know because you will learn stuff. And as Alex has just pointed out, it improves you as a, as a therapist or, a, or as a, a stage show that you've actually got experience outside. I mean, I, I got into NLP because of teaching. Um, it was a quicker way to get to build rapport was to understand NLP properly. And I was like, I've never heard of NLP. And that's why I got into NLP. That's when I got into hypnosis, um, was on the back of teaching. And it was a formal teaching qualification, which actually talked about NLP. Now, right, cool. yeah, 
actually, it, they, they went through, um, you know, engagement, the, the learner styles, um, even down as far as uh, IQs. And I was like, I need to know more about this. And then I researched it and I, and I, I went to the best guys in the UK, Mark Dawes, Alex, and, and, and continued my study. Now, I have spent a pound or two over the years improving myself. Um, everybody should, because you can claim it back off of your tax. As a business, you know, you can, you can prove that it, it is improving your business and it makes it more viable then it's tax deductible. So there's no reason not to do it, okay? Uh, not being able to afford a course that you need to be able to operate is something that you can't justify in law, okay? You really need to be hitting your ball out of the park for this because it's your house you're betting on, all right? Your business is great, okay? And if you're a, a limited company with directorships and all the rest of it, limited uh, liability directorships, you Which may get away with stuff. limited as a lot of people think, because in recent years, things have changed. Yeah, so you are still liable. And the Corporate Manslaughter Act actually goes after directors and businesses. It's, mm. It goes after them in a way which wasn't prior to that, where you could have gone, well, it was all on the staff. Now it actually goes after uh, principles and practices of the management structure and to see if it was established procedures or an inherent danger running through the whole organization all those things come into effect now get yourself ahead of the curve the things that have changed in, in health and safety in the last 10 years people are doing more stuff now than ever before but the act has been in since 1974 but now we've got no smoking in pubs we've got more health and safety we've got we've got social distancing due to covid What's the next thing going to be? Mm. Get ahead of the curve. Get yourself learning about stuff now. Improve yourself. Okay. Best investment you can ever make is in yourself and in your knowledge base and learning. Nobody can take it away from you. They can take your house off you. They can take your car off you. You can lose money through investments. Invest in yourself and be a better person at the other end. Um, yeah. Is there anything else that we've not covered? I think we've covered just that's everything. incredibly comprehensive it really is people i always say this but more so with today and yesterday shows you really do would be wise to get a notepad and a pen and watch them again or listen again and take notes because there are I mentioned a website i don't get me wrong there will be website links below for the legislation so, but the stuff that we mentioned names of things that you can go and google because a lot of the stuff for the continuing professional development, you can go, and to a certain degree, yeah. you can go and study it for free yes. by doing intelligent Google searches and finding government websites where they recommend learn more here. And you can learn more to a degree that's free. You may not get a qualification at the end of it, but at least if, if, if you're short of money at the minute, that's better than not doing something. CPD can include reading articles and blog posts, podcasts, just take a note of what you've read, what you've listened to, what you've watched, um, when you watched it. And so include this that itself, in your arguably, watch. CPD. People. Yeah. 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 Well, here's here's an entire, here's a, a whole course on CPD for health and safety, allegedly. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll use that word a lot. But 
if people are looking for, and I don't know, have you got a CPD, uh, Continued Professional Development form? I'll, I'll, I'll ping one for you to add to the links. So we'll put a, a simple link, okay? And and then you can you can put down what you've done. Um, obviously, if you've gone to the download, we'll add in the top that you've actually sat and listened to ours because <laughs> that's that's CPD for you right there. Um, yeah. But everybody should be looking at CPD. Um, you should be keeping all your qualifications up to date and you should be looking to gain experience in other sectors. You should be looking to uh, the personal license is, is, is a brilliant idea. Um, if you if you if you're on stage and you put your hands on somebody, you're employed by the premises that could be then deemed, you know, say, say a fight kicks out and you get involved. Having a door qualification on a license would make you a, a less likely to be prosecuted from that point of view as well. So again, look at the other things in, that surround you. So if you're working in pubs and clubs, get a door qualification, get a license. Well, get... I know there's one, there's one UK stage hypnotist, um, a good friend of mine, Craig Williams. He, he was the number one hypnotist in Benidorm for years, but then he decided to come come, come back to England. And he, um, I know that he's got he's Door qualifications. Yes. Yeah. Um, partly because he had financial involvement in venues as well as being a, a you know a leading stage hypnotist. Um, but exactly a benefit in the context of what you've just said. Is that not a is that not a is that not an upsell? Is that not something that you could add to your business? So mm -hmm. not only can you provide. Um, say you say you go to uh, say you get an invite to go and do a a charity gig in a church hall. If you've got your personal license, you can offer to do a bar for them. If you've got your security licenses, you can offer to have uh, licensed staff on the premises. You could sell it as a complete a complete package. You well, know, there's a stage hypnotist in Scotland. Come on, Alex, remember his name. I'm sorry, I'm having a mental fart problem. When you watch this, you'll know I'm talking about you. Comment underneath and then please forgive me for having this brain fart. I'm normally good at remembering things. But he's got a background in running pubs in the past. Then he became a stage hypnotist. And the majority of what he does is get bookings where he goes to private functions like weddings and stuff. And he's yeah. not just providing um, a mate of his who's the DJ. But he's doing the stage hypnosis show, but he's yeah. also the premises event license holder and yeah. bringing in the bar. So he's making, because of the bar sales, yeah. way more than a stage hypnotist would be able to earn in a night. Well, I've and got showing up anyway to do his show. I mean, one of the things that I don't talk about often is the, um, I got into events management and I've got a, an events company. Um, and we do security for that. And I had to, I owned a pub, so I did license trade. Um, I do bodyguarding. I, I mean, I've got just about, I've got an HGV license, so I've got all that sort of stuff. I mean, I really do, it's not a case of listen to my advice. I've gone out and got as many licenses and, and different things so that I can keep ahead of the curve. Some of the stuff that we've, we've done, I can't, comment on the companies obviously but some of the stuff that we've done where we've provided the dj the security 
We've actually gone and done the security for the whole hotel, um, including close close protection for the VIPs, mm-hmm. and 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 it just it goes with we we got a phone call about one thing. All right, um, we've done diplomatic uh, weddings and stuff like that because and you know because we we've got a reasonable name. Um, I don't advertise anymore. That's that's how much that we've done. I don't have to advertise anymore. Um, even the website, I don't think I've, I've actually done anything on the website for maybe eight years. Um, it, it's just a blank website with just stuff on it um, with a lot of under construction. So there are a lot of opportunities. Now, for people who have been sitting at the moment who, who didn't plan ahead, think of this for the future. COVID-19 was last year's definition for it because it was the virus is 19 because of the year we're going to have this ongoing there's going to be other things come up if you have your security qualifications you can go and work at supermarkets making sure that people are social distancing you can be involved in events management you can be right now they're screaming for security licensed people to be testing uh, to be involved in the testing of COVID and managing the, the security at the COVID centres for the testing. There are other options. So when, you're, when your business does come back off of one thing, you've got another string to your bow. All right. So don't think of it just as one. I mean, you could be, you could be doing other stuff. You could be opening other doors to yourself. We all have our passion. I mm. love NLP. I, I, I truly love NLP and I use it in every course that I teach um, and every job that I do. I, I try and involve NLP and I could probably be a multimillionaire by now if I charged for every person that I've got rid of a fear or phobia with who, is, who has been speaking to me at something else. Oh, I would love to do this, but I can't fly. All right, give me 10 minutes during the lunch break. We'll sort that out. I love doing that sort of stuff. I don't do it for money. I just do it. Okay. I, I love the fact that I've got other strings to my bow, but nothing is an island. It all comes off of everything else. And I know you're you're a fantastic trainer, Alex. So you think of it not just as the stage shows, but the therapy, but the training side. I mean, there's opportunities to become trainers too. There's opp- opportunities to go into businesses and do risk analysis. There is a bit... There, all these different things that we're telling you to put in place for your business, other businesses need to. So you yeah, could then yeah. go and consult on that. And that then gets you in so that you can do mindfulness, um, stress training. Um, what, uh, I've just yeah. remembered. You've right. got 10, you've got 10 no. courses that you, you go can. in the elite hypnosis bloody boot camp. There's 10 courses. Uh, there are 15 PowerPoint presentations ready-made with the training notes, one for going into companies. But that yes. isn't what I was going to say. Underneath okay. underneath the um, Wilf Archer stress management training for companies, and that's tying in with the health and safety executive laws about what companies have to provide for stress management, the certain laws. He goes into that in that course. But underneath well, it are uh, a whole bunch of manuals that Will put together a whole bunch of manuals on health and safety stuff, on risk assessment, on all the stuff that we've been speaking about. I totally forgot about that. It's in the boot camp, people. Yeah. 
So not only not only are you hearing it, because obviously, you know, we've got the different kinds of learners, so you've got the audio, visual, kinesthetic, but you've got it in a video form at the moment, you've got the books underneath, go and get a certificate so that you can actually put it up on the wall. Everybody loves a certificate. When they walk into your office, they look up on the wall and they see all the different certificates. Yeah. That proves you're an expert, doesn't it? Well, that's what they perceive. And that's all that's, that matters. That's yeah. perce- perception over truth, isn't it? Yeah. It's always perception over truth. And I, I talk about that on the courses. It's not what you did. It's what people perceived you did. Were you doing the best that you could for COVID-19 to protect everybody? Yes. Are you perceived to have done enough? Maybe not. Mm. That's where you're that's where you're on your dodgy ground. Okay. Whereas if you've got the certificates, you can say, Yep, I've got this. Yep, I've got this. Yep, I've got this. And that's you're proving stuff. Because people don't understand. Um they understand um as a hypnotist, you understand trance. But if I show you a bit of paper it has an inherent value to it that puts that person into trance for that. Uh, get where I'm going I with call it? it wizard, the Wizard of Oz syndrome. And if you've yes. not watched the Wizard of Oz, watch it, because at the end, see what happens with a piece of paper. It, it's yes. effectively meaningless, but it means everything in the right context. It does, but only in that context. So if you've got, like we said at the beginning, if you've got a hypnosis certificate, that doesn't cover you for your risk assessment. It it covers you for sector competence for hypnosis, maybe, but not for carrying out a valid risk assessment. And it is the competencies of the person writing the risk assessment is what will be called into question, because that's the document which outlines the way the court is going to look at you. Yeah. And remember, as we talked about yesterday, as you guys talked about yesterday, legalese, the legal words that they use, don't always have the same meanings. So when you think that you're competent in what you're doing and, yeah, I can do this, imagine that you're betting your house on it because you may have to sell your house to pay for the court costs and the claims that go against you because that if your insurance company decides to walk away, um, then you're on your own. That doesn't make the court case go away. That doesn't make the liabilities go away and it doesn't make the compensation go away just because the insurance company has decided that they won't pay out. Somebody will be liable and it will be you. So get yourself ring fenced, secure everything as much as you can. I mean, you wouldn't let uh, as much as we don't all get in a taxi and check the driver's license for a taxi. We know that if they've got a taxi sign on top, there's a good chance the guy can drive. He has to have sat a test possibly maybe <laughs> who knows allegedly I'm sorry but, I don't mean to laugh but here in Rochdale if they've got a taxi side on there's a good chance they're not very good at driving well, they've got a license but they're not very good at driving well again a license a license doesn't mean that um that you are competent a license is just uh, a license shows that you've received training to a recognized level and that you've passed a test and uh, there's a difference then again that takes it into another realm. How do you actually become fully competent? Well, that's with your experience and training, but it takes time. So what I would say is, uh, harping back to everything again, again, go online, Google the stuff that we're talking about, bang yourself onto different courses, 
There are free ones. There are cheap ones. There are, but make sure that it is fit for purpose. Don't just do a course for the sake of getting a bit of paper and ticking a box. Make sure that you actually learn something because it comes down to that as well. I know a lot of I know a lot of people who have got qualifications which they obviously don't understand what they've learned because they're not they're not doing things the right way. Um, we I had a conversation with somebody the other day um, and the person was looking for advice and they should have got the advice from their qualifications that they've already attained. They shouldn't need to have asked for advice on it. But, you know... I really, I'm sorry, I'm, I know it's slightly not on subject, but it is, but this... Oh, it niggles me. <laughs> Facebook groups for hypnotherapists... When you see people post, I've got a client coming with X, Y, Z tomorrow. X, Y, Z, you can fill it in with anything. They're saying something. I've never seen somebody with X, Y, Z before. How should I go about helping them? And I always, I used to, I don't now, but I feel like just going, for fuck's sake, you know what I suggest you do? You go and demand a refund from whoever taught you because they clearly did not teach you properly because they did. I know this doesn't apply to all industries, but with hypnotherapy, the things that it is possible to help with are pretty wide. But the truth is, if you've been taught right and you understand how and why the things work, you will then be in a position to yourself, adapt it to help people with practically, well, pretty much with, with anything that it's possible to help with. Yes. And if, you have, if you've left a course and are having to ask, how to bloody help somebody then you weren't taught right and frankly you should get a refund from your training provider that's one of the things that that's one of the things that i liked about both your course and mark dawes's course it wasn't site it wasn't um client specific it was a principle in learning so once you learned you learned the principle it could be applied to every one so it's not you didn't just give a technique and say um this technique will work for this 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 what you actually gave was a principle where not you're not giving one technique you're giving thousands of techniques because the principle principle can be applied to any position and that's that's the type of learning you should always be aiming for principle-based learning rather than technique-based learning Otherwise, um, you become a seminar junkie who's going on hypnotherapy course after course. Oh, I'm doing the smoking cessation one. Oh, I'm doing the weight management one. Oh, I'm yes. doing the confidence one. If you were taught properly in the first place, you'd be able to do all of them and a whole bunch of other things. Yep. With confidence and competence, because you'd understand the building blocks and how they go together and can be moved around for different things. Yes. That's yes. my pet bloody really angers me. It's, it's not, I'm angry at the people posting that they want help. That's good that they're actually wanting to make sure they know as much as possible. But they shouldn't need to, is the no. point, if they were taught right. Or they should go back to the training provider the, 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 and say, OK, I'm a little bit, because we covered it in such detail or because we, 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 we were, it was such a short time scale, we did the course over. I'm not too sure about this. What would you go back yeah. to the the specific training provider because everybody needs to touch base everybody I, as much as you talked about the wizard of oz everybody does need that mentor that they can go back to and say just just i know that i can do this but can you just make sure i'm doing it right and that's why we have supervision 
why mm. why supervision is so important. That's why when you're doing your counselling, you should have you know you should have supervision and counselling as well. Um, as much as it's not regulated yet, you know, you should be you should have somebody else reviewing. Again, I know you're a big advocate on recording all your sessions. You should have another therapist sit down and look at it and see if there's any any um, more like a reflection on training even. So reflection on practice where you sit down and you review your own and then get somebody else to have a look and say, is there anything else I could have brought up at this point? Because remember, we don't always see the wood for the trees. So it's nice to have somebody else's input. So we do all have mentors and I believe, yes, they should have been told on the courses. Yes, they should have been trained properly. But you can't hit every every occurrence that might happen and they might want to come back. But they shouldn't post it on an open forum. They should go back to the training provider and say, I was on your course on this. Can you, am I doing this the right way? Or I know as a training provider, I don't mind somebody coming back to me. I, I actually make sure that each one of my courses the person gets my personal number so that I'm the one that taught them. I'm the one that trained them. Mm -hmm. If they've got any issues, they can come straight back to me. They've got exactly. my mobile number. Exactly. And I mean, I, I, I do the same with people who study the boot camp because, I mean, yes. there, is an, there is an argument there. Technically, hey, this could cause so much trouble for other trainers. Um, but that if you are in that scenario I've just given the example of, that you should have been taught, arguably, if you go back and look at what you was advertised to you, and if it implies that you'd be able to deal with those whole range of stuff and you don't feel that you are, that you've got an argument for misrepresentation, at the very least, possibly fraud, or obtaining money by deception at the other end of the scale. And there's also an argument that uh, under duty of care, that the trainer... Um, if they advertise you'd be able to do X, Y, and Z, that they should provide you with additional advice and ongoing consultancy at no charge because you paid to be able to become X, Y, Z. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think that I think that should be standard, you know, across the board that you can go back and um, because you can't cover everything in a in a short course. Um, even even if you did a degree. You couldn't cover every eventuality. There will be options. And that's why we could continue professional development. That's why things change on a daily basis. The yes, world is yes. not the same as it was two minutes ago, let alone yesterday. So what everything moving forward, there's always nice to have a, a bank of, of experience that you can tap into. Yes. Um, but I just I, again, yeah, I get a bit niggled with it when I see people saying, oh, I haven't you know, um, haven't dealt with this before. It's good, as you say, it's good that they've, they're ex they're accepting their own um, shortcomings. Yeah. But it's their training provider they should be addressing it with. Yeah, yeah, they should be going back to them. Um, not one to teach you marketing, because I know you're big on it. Um, I think you missed a trick yesterday with the, when you, when you get up and don't, please don't get up in case you're you're suitably dressed again today but um, <laughs> when you get no, up no 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 just box of shorts and a t-shirt again yeah um, when you got when you got up yesterday and you got your um, media player uh-huh um, I'm a great believer in 
when we teach a course, if I'm using a bit of kit, I've normally gone and negotiated a price for that kit as cheap as I can get from the manufacturer, and I offer it on sale at the course, or I offer them the links to the to the specific site I, where I've bought. I'm just too lazy. That's why I pointed out. If they go and look for the picture that looks the same as what I bought on eBay, they'll get yeah. them for the price I said. If they want them even cheaper, if they're buying more than one, then the website's aliexpress.com. Right. If you're buying like half a dozen of them at a time, you'll knock about 25% off the price. Yeah, yeah. So from that point of view, I always think that that, again, is the experience. So when we're, like, when we're doing... Um, uh, well, I don't really, I, there's some courses I don't want to talk about, but uh, if we're talking about and I use a specific piece of equipment, I like to have it there so they can try it, so they can use it. And then I say to them, there are other ones available. This is where you can go and get it. And we've got a, a price off with the manufacturer. And here you go. Here's a discount code. I don't make money out of it, um, but I always try to provide that extra service. And it, I think there's a lot of training providers out there don't do that and don't have the backup afterwards. Like yesterday you went, this is the thing that I use myself. That to me was, was something that I went away and looked at last night. Now, when you consider I have um, disco equipment, radio mics, lights, you name it, mm-hmm. I've got, because I've got an entertainment company. Yeah. That was, that was something that I thought to myself, well, I'll just go and order one. I'll go and order one, see what it's like. It might be might be of use for when I'm teaching courses or we're at a conference or something. But well, I forgot Sometimes. to mention yesterday. Yeah. Uh, one thing I will just I will just box a shot. Sorry, but I will just for the sake of it. I don't care where are we. Um. Grab that and let me grab the bit that I forgot to mention yesterday which is so this is what i showed yesterday if you look at the recording from the 22nd of june with uh Stuart harrison cassells and on the top it will look like that on the back it's got an audio output for connecting to your pa system a power lead thing and obviously on and off at the front there's room to put a USB or an SD card, and that switches on and lights up, and you can see the number on screen of the track playing. Now, as a stage hypnotist, that was the context I was on about this device and the remote. Look at yesterday. I went into what the remote can do yesterday. You can buy this for less than $20 on eBay. That will fit in your inside pocket of a court. It will fit in your carry-on luggage if you're going on a flight. Yeah. It's so useful, but yeah, you've got to connect it to the PA. And yes, this is um, infrared remote. So if walls were in the way and you're on stage and it's got front of house sound, that wouldn't be ideal. So what's the solution? The solution is that you go on eBay and you search for Bluetooth Bluetooth transmitter yeah. and Bluetooth receiver device. Yeah. A Bluetooth transmitter you can buy for about five or six quid. It doesn't have to be some fancy brand name. They work just as well. Bluetooth receiver, again, you can get for less than a tenner. Your Bluetooth transmitter plugs into the audio output socket here. And your Bluetooth receiver goes into the uh, PA system, front of house, wherever. It doesn't matter. The Bluetooth will pick up through walls, the signal once it's connected. This means that your little music device here can be 
at the side of the stage near you where you've got a direct line of sight for using the remote control because it's transmitting to the PA. And all of this, even with the transmitter and receivers costing you less than uh, less than $40, the replacement remotes you can buy for like about $1.50 each, you know, so you can have spares. It'll all fit in your inside pocket. It'll go on your carry-on luggage, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's the bit I missed out, Bluetooth transmitter and receiver. <laughs> See? All good. All good. So, um, we've pretty much covered everything then, haven't we? We, we have, uh, certainly to the degree for people to go and check out the web links below, including Stuart's site. Contact Stuart. Um, if you want clarification, as he's mentioned, obviously he is likely, yeah, he'll happily point you into the direction of free resources, but if he runs a course that could be a benefit to you, obviously he's also going to make mention of that to you, goes without saying. But there again, I've got a funny feeling a lot of you having watched and listened to this will already be of the mind that why bother wasting time searching around for someone else to help you when you probably come to the conclusion this gentleman knows what well, he's about. He does. There is, a good, there is a good point to that because... You know, um, you've got two options. You could meet me on a course or you could meet me or somebody else as an expert witness in court. Yeah. So whether you want to come and see me one way or the other, we could always find out because there are people out there as training providers. We give we give advice to um, solicitors. We give advice to on, on all the different courses that we run. So there are times when, you know, expert witnesses will stand in court and you could be facing me. You could be standing across from me. So meet me one way or the other at your own peril. <laughs> I know which of those two options is preferable. I'll give you a clue. Follow the links below this video or this audio podcast. Uh, take notes, like I said, uh, watch it again, take notes, check out the links. If you're already in the Elite Hypnosis Bootcamp and you've not yet got to the Wilf Archer Stress Management section, um, go to it and either underneath it on that page, there will be some documents to download, but also underneath that section in the bootcamp is a section where there's the documents and manuals about many of the subjects we talked about. And I'd had a total brain fart and forgotten about them until today. But yeah, they're there uh, to some degree. The odd thing will have updated itself as it does over the years. So you still need to clarify the latest guidance wherever you are in the world. Um, so thank you so much, Stuart. Can you stick a link for the guys that are on the um, Facebook page, the, the Bootcamp Facebook page, for that documents at the top or, you know, post it, post it new so they don't have to go looking for it? Yeah, well, what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to put a new page in the boot camp members area at the top right. okay. that's yeah. going to have this video and yesterday's together in the page that right. underneath it will put the web links and yeah. um, tell them, by the way, look at this bit in the boot camp as well. Yeah, yeah. OK, that's grand. Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, thank I you for your time and expertise. And people do contact us. Do make comments below, but tag us when you do so that we know, because we're busy doing other stuff. If you tag us, we'll see it. And then if there's the demand there, we can explore further. And that's whether you'd be interested if we'd set it up, but also if you'd be interested in being involved in a non-political, non-emotional, 
non-ego state, non-hierarchy manner, purely following things so that they abide by health and safety and all the other relevant laws and guidance to set up something like which Stuart mentioned, then if you'd like to be on board, contact us as well. I think I think when you when you did the conference with Steve, I think that was a cracking idea. I think a, you know a conference where we could get like-minded people together. They're expensive to set up, I know that, um, but I think that there's a valid, um, you know, there's a reason for doing stuff, for moving stuff forward. And I think if people get on board, we could achieve something big, um, not just here. Obviously, because of you know, I know that you sell your products worldwide. Maybe, maybe there's a need that you know, um, one of the awarding organisations that um, I work closely with actually allows us to certificate awarding body qualifications, which are recognised throughout the world. So it could be that we could set up something with them and then have it where um, I know that we we deliver we already deliver courses in the Middle East and over in the States through that awarding organization and they are recognized there so it could be that, yeah it could be that we set up something now those are those are qualifications that we didn't design that, that we we just deliver for a, for different sectors but if we sat down and worked something out i'm sure that we could get them involved so that they would they would say yeah you can deliver it here and deliver it there and also remember qualifications aren't just bits of paper if you have a qualification which is a government backing, then by the Tokyo Accord, which um, is uh, has to be recognised by other countries. So if you have a, a formal qualification, not an in-house one, not not something that is uh, that is a training provider one, if it has off-qual on it, it yeah. should be recognised outside the UK. So and there is a list of company uh, countries. Um, it was, uh, I want to say 2012 in Tokyo, it was signed off on. Um, but it, it, it's everything from degrees to professional qualifications, NVQs, anything that has a government stamp on it is accepted by, I think it's 92 or maybe more than that now, countries in the world. So there's a lot of scope for stuff if it's off-qual regulated or if it's to the same level, you know. Um, so the awarding organisations theirs should be um, should be recognised to the same level as well. So you know there's there's room there's scope for trainings for CPD um, or even just to increase your knowledge. There's loads of stuff that we could all get together and do. So don't be shy, get in touch. Um, as I've probably proved by this video, I love talking. So spend a couple hours on the phone to me. All my advice is free. You only pay for something if you're actually hiring me. So if you get in touch, I'll give the advice for free. I know Alex is a big, big guy for getting in touch and, and giving stuff for free because that's how we. Uh, I originally bought the NLP, um, the ultimate NLP package, um, <laughs> and and did that. Um, and uh, I had, I had a couple of questions. And unlike most training providers, he actually he contacted me directly, gave me his phone number, um, and. We, we sat and talked for about an hour, two hours. That was a few years ago. You might not remember. But I do remember, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, well, 
how many Scots guys are this good looking? You know what I mean? So, <laughs> but from that point of view, you know, reach out to us because we will discuss the stuff. Now, we're not, we are fallible. We do make mistakes. We're yep. not, this is not legally binding or anything else. It's mm-hmm. opinion, but it's based on our sector competence. So that's better than nothing. Okay. Well, it might not stand up in a court of law and you have to do your own due diligence by checking everything out else out yourself. But look at the stuff that we've pointed. We've given you a map, a road map. Yeah. But as any great NLP practitioner will tell you, the map isn't the territory. So you have to take it further yourself. All right. Thanks for your time, Alex. Thank you, Stuart. It's been a pleasure. Guys and girls, as always, listen, watch again, take notes. But most importantly, more important than ever with today and yesterday's is actually take action. Do something. Thanks a lot. We'll see you again soon. Stay